So, good morning. Morning of kind of consistent meditation practice, settling into a rhythm, sitting and walking, and well, I was going to say training our mind, maybe also just meeting our mind, maybe very often retrieving mind from wherever it's uh, wandered off to, whatever it's gotten fascinated with, whatever dramas and details. And in that retrieving our mind or our attention from where it goes, the settling and resettling and resettling and resettling back to where we already are, actually. And so exercising our willingness and our capacity to be present. I reflect uh, sometimes a little on the language that we use to describe meditation practice because that's a lot of what I do, right? Try to engage language in such a way as to describe meditation practice so as to point in a helpful way to how we engage meditation. And despite the reflection and despite trying to speak as skillfully as I can about that, the language can easily be misleading. So maybe we know what I mean when I speak about retrieving our mind from somewhere. But of course that gives the impression that mind has actually gone somewhere. And where on earth could it possibly go, really? Mind is here, fundamentally, inescapably. We talk about practicing awareness, being aware of what's happening. And we can easily, from that, generate some idea that I'm responsible for awareness, that I've got to create awareness in some way. But maybe awareness isn't actually a property that I can be responsible for, isn't something I can create. Awareness actually is already here. The very fact that you can feel your body sitting here. The very fact that you can, without uh, doing anything particular, that you can be conscious of the hearing of these sounds. Not just the hearing of them, but then the sense-making of them. Happening, like we said yesterday, naturally, immediately right here. We speak about training our attention so as to be, we might say, more in our body. To be embodied. We can have the impression that we've somehow trying to find bodily life, to get into body as an experience and yet of course body is right here and we we say we want to kind of track our experience be with our experience and even in some subtle way maybe it can be that we're looking for our experience looking for some particular experience But hey, 
experience is right here. So, it's a helpful way to settle into our practice with the recognition that all the ingredients of meditation are already right here. Consciousness is switched on. You didn't do it, but here it is, right? You, here you are. So much so that you can't switch it off. Try not to be aware right now. You're all failing. Really, stop, stop, try to stop being aware, don't be conscious. Don't know anything. And sometimes just in looking in that opposite direction, trying not to be aware that we might notice the natural immanence of awareness. So awareness is right here, experience is right here, bodily sensation is happening. Well, the senses are just naturally receptive to the touch of life. And so our practice really has its ground in the, the right hereness of things. Despite whatever um, beautiful, maybe, or impressive or powerful uh, experiences you may have had previously with meditation, those experiences are gone forever. Despite what uh, experiences you may have heard about or imagined or read about or wish would happen, those exist only as some kind of dream or fantasy. This is it. This moment, this sitting here, this uh, mind like this, body like this, experience like this. So the good news with all that is you don't need to do anything special. You don't need to make anything happen. Everything already is happening. So, what are you responsible for then? We might say, well, being sincere, that really makes a difference. The more sincere we can be in our willingness to be here. And that really develops then our capacity to be here. To be here in, in deeper and deeper ways. To be here in ways that we can't actually even imagine. Because here turns out to be infinite. Right? Experience is infinite. You can't find the edges of it. Awareness is infinite. Here is an infinitely inclusive place. So on the one hand, we establish a practice in a way that's very simple, down to earth. We start off with the most uh, basic and simple way that we can uh, establish at this hereness. Just sitting quietly and feeling body sitting quietly. Using the most simple, most natural, most un, um, uncontrived elements of our experience. There's just the sensations of sitting, the sensations of breathing. Nothing you need to do to breathe. No particular way one is trying to breathe. No right or wrong sensations.
And so that quality of relaxation that I spoke about yesterday. Oh, the opportunity to relax into the just like this-ness of being here. There may be elements of that that we like and elements that we don't like. It may be that despite our willingness and our intention to be here, to be present, to, be, to have our attention be directed towards body and breath, that, that we notice a lot of just familiar, habitual use of mind. The habit of replaying various um, scenarios and memories. The habit of endlessly anticipating some future moment. The habit of narrating or commentating on what's happening in the present. That habitual use of mind isn't wrong. We're not trying to stop it or make it go away. Actually, the noticing of it is really helpful. It's through noticing that habit that we can start to actually just unhook from it. Life is constantly speaking to us in different ways. The sound of the rain right now. we really let ourselves hear it. So there's all kinds of elements, not just the sound, but the feeling that it evokes. A sense of contact and intimacy with life. Life speaking to us in different ways, through the dance of sensation. This sensitive organism that body is. And as we practice in a way, as a way to enhance presence, to be more awake to the way life speaking to us, we're able to hear and take in and respond to life in different ways. But most of, mostly we're listening in a kind of out-of-proportion way to one particular way in which life's speaking to us, which is through our own thoughts. We tend to be so fascinated, so entranced by our own thoughts that there's not much room left to listen through some of the other channels. So without making thought wrong, without making it into the enemy, without trying to do battle in any way with our own minds, we're giving ourselves the chance to switch channels, to open up some of the channels that actually can, uh, some of the channels that more fully express this intimacy with life this naturalness of experience, this immediacy of being here. So, a couple of reflections maybe about um, how we're practicing and also how I'm describing our practice. Also, this time each morning, some opportunity to hear from you. So, if there's questions you have about what's happening in your meditation or about the way I'm uh, uh, guiding the practice, then please feel free to use this time. I think it's often, actually, in terms of uh, understanding 
and therefore benefiting from what we're noticing in meditation, the reflecting on what's happening and then naming it and speaking about it and having some dialogue is just as important as the sitting with it ourselves. So a couple of things and then we'll see what other questions you might have. First of all, I just want to speak about some of the terms which can sometimes seem a little unclear, particularly what can sometimes seem like interchangeable words, consciousness, awareness, attention, presence. And I try to use those in more or less distinct ways, actually in reference to particular Pali words, particular words the the Buddha used for those different terms. Sometimes there's a little overlap, but generally, um, when I say, when I say consciousness, I'm meaning just the um, the basic capacity to register experience, right? which all living beings have in some way. But yeah, for our purposes, human consciousness. Right? If you're alive then human consciousness is operating. Whether or not we're engaging it in any particular way, whether or not we're trying to enhance it, whether or not we're we're really aware of what we're conscious of, consciousness is operating. And then awareness is the bit where we're, we're actively knowing what we're knowing. So, um, consciousness may be operating, but in a more or less um, blind or habitual or automatic way, just engaged in any old thing. But awareness is when we're knowing what we're knowing. Pali word for consciousness, vijnana. For awareness, in this sense, I'd say uh, sampajanya. Literally means clear knowing. So awareness that knowing what we're knowing. And attention, manisikara in Pali, that capacity to actually direct awareness. You can, you can choose where your attention goes. Attention will be pulled around, it is pulled around habitually, right? By things that we're used to giving attention to, they seem to na- they naturally exert a pull on our attention, or by a particular impact. So we might be sitting here. You might be trying to put your attention in one place, but if I if I clap my hands, you don't have much choice. Attention just goes there. Right? So attention's pulled around by the impacts of experience, and t- attention is pulled around automatically by the habits of where we take our attention. If we often take our attention to replaying some kind of thing that happened to me and reinforcing the ideas about what that was and why that happened and how I feel about it, then that strengthens the pattern of our attention to go in that way. And attention can be uh, directed in unhelpful ways and in helpful ways. So one of the most helpful ways to direct your attention is towards what's actually going on. And the kind of direct experience underneath our habitual um, storytelling about experience. So, consciousness, awareness, attention, and then presence. Presence is my preferred word for Pali word sati. Sometimes translated, very often translated, usually translated as mindfulness, which I find, despite the fact that it's become so prevalent in our culture, I find it actually a strange and misleading word. Ironically, I mean, we're stuck with it now, but I don't think it's really a very good translation for sati. Sati literally means kind of, actually means recollectedness, a sense of awareness, right? Sampajanya, clearly knowing what's going on, and having the Manisikara, the attention be gathered. The the ways Buddha Buddha talks about sati are to to enter into collectedness, presence, to establish oneself 
in presence. That sense of really being alive to what's happening right now. Entered into, established inside the experience of what's happening right now. So sometimes those words can can be, as I say, used a little interchangeably, and I try to use them precisely. And they point to to kind of a completely interrelated process around the uh, uh, interrelated processes of how experience happens. But there are important there are important nuances to that. And so we're seeing where consciousness is, what consciousness is registering moment by moment. We're we're engaging with this capacity to be aware, to have consciousness be really recognized, to know what we know. We're directing attention in conscious ways, skillful ways, useful ways rather than in habitual ways, unhelpful ways, habit-reinforcing ways. And we're establishing presence, entering into presence, settling into presence. And in practicing in those ways, experience can really come to life, can be seen more clearly, can be entered into more fully and start to really be actually understanding what it is, this being here, this being conscious, this being human. Understanding the nature of experience, the nature of being here. And I also just wanted to say something a little bit about physical discomfort. And, um, you know, sitting for some consistent times. We usually won't be sitting for more than um, 30 or 40 minutes at a, at a time. But, you know, time is a very subjective experience. And sometimes 30 or 40 minutes can fly by, right? Well, an episode of Game of Thrones only lasts 40 minutes. And then it gets to the end. Oh, you think? Oh, it just flies by. But forty minutes of meditation can feel like a near eternity sometimes. And sometimes physical discomfort can increase that sense of near eternity. Right? We sat for what may have seemed like hours, and then I said, "Oh, another ten minutes." I wonder what the response was. So, you know, some of you will be very familiar with this, but firstly it's just to actually just to normalize physical discomfort that happens in meditation. And some of that may be related to posture, right? particularly if you're sitting on the ground, if your f- knees are folded in some sort of unfamiliar and maybe uncomfortable position, well, there may be discomfort related to that. It's easy to deal with. Don't sit in an uncomfortable, unhelpful posture. Right? If you have to sit in a chair, you'll have much less uh, discomfort related to posture. But actually, very much of the physical discomfort that we experience in meditation isn't to do with posture. And ex- people experience discomfort, and it might become clearer as the days go by, in places that are not related to how you're sitting particularly. And just intensity, heat and pressure and density often in shoulders or neck or head or lower back. And there's a certain amount of physical discomfort that's just related to the intensity actually of of being here and attending to your experience rather directly. We often think those things are associated with posture and we shuffle around and try and fix our posture as if we could find some perfect place where no discomfort arises. Good luck with that. And there's a, a, a really fantastic 
usefulness, a real benefit and validity to staying steady with a certain amount of physical discomfort. Partly you get to train a certain steadiness, and the capacity to not fuss with what's happening, to not get reactive around what's happening. Partly you actually, by just attending and being steady, you actually give the opportunity for some of that discomfort to work itself out. We kind of generate all kinds of unconscious tension patterns which become so habituated we don't even notice that they're there until we stop and sense and feel. And then some of those habituated tension patterns that we may carry in the head or shoulders or back or something start to really be felt. And often there's a kind of um, just an energetic unwinding or um, freeing up of those things. And the heat or pressure that we experience is the process of those things actually, um, you know, freeing up. So helpful as much as possible to, ju- to stay steady with. And I'll speak more as the time goes by in terms of the meditation instructions about ways to, um, to just cultivate a certain gentleness, a certain non-reactivity, a certain inclusion of those experiences. And of course, sometimes, despite the, you know, the intention to just to bear with in that way, the physical discomfort can start to feel too much, too intense. And if, it's, if it becomes too much, that's what too much means, right? Too much, I don't have any space anymore. I don't have any capacity to just bear with anymore. I, don't, I can't just be spacious and non-reactive. It's like the whole universe has been reduced to just my knees or uh, shoulders or whatever it is. And if if that's the case and there's just no more capacity to kind of be gentle and spacious with it, then it's helpful to move. There's no point to kind of just kind of, what do they say in English, grin and bear it or not grin even, but just sort of in some sort of hard headed way as if I should be able to sit still for the entire meditation period. So sometimes it's actually kinder and wiser and more helpful to just adjust your posture a little bit, to open your shoulders a little bit, to make some adjustments so that you can re-establish some degree of steadiness, ease, gentleness. And as I say, we'll give more attention to what's happening with that discomfort and how to meet it skillfully over the next day or two. So, if there are any other areas of your experience that you'd like to speak about or ask about, um, please use this time while we have it. Yeah, hold on, Ariadna, I'll pass you the mic. I just felt like a lot of pressure here. Mm-hmm. I was doing the exercises you told me to do to open more of this mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. But I was a bit worried because I was feeling like a lot of pressure. Yeah. Like someone pushing. Yeah. I don't know if it's normal. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so when you experience the pressure, like you say, like someone is pushing, right? so that's the, that's the physical part, strong pressure in the chest, like someone's pushing. How does that impact you? How do you? How does it make you feel having all that pressure in the chest? A bit fear, fear. Fearful. Yeah. 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 And is the fear um, uh, tolerable or too much? No, it's tolerable. It's tolerable. Yeah. Yeah. So let yourself really, as you're as you're attending in that way, let yourself really. Uh, attend to or care for the fear. Right? Mm. Oh, there's this strong pressure in the chest and it's fearful. Right? Oh, that needs some gentle attention, some care. And you might also just notice, and also because you're, it's not just your first day of retreat, right? You've been here for some time already, so you're kind of in process and we met about that. So just including whatever associations you notice whatever the, f- the fear, the images or associations or memories that may go along with that. 
that start to give you some kind of clue about the contraction in the heart, mm. chest, the fear that goes along with it. So, attending to the physical and the emotional the fear part, attending with gentleness, right, kindness towards it, and, and seeing what other elements, memories, images, start to fill out the experience. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I arrived a day early, just to contextualize this. Um, I was just wondering if you can say something about the balance between focused attention and sort of a more broad, spacious attention and how to sense which is more appropriate each time, if you see what I mean. Hmm. Um, for now, I would say it's helpful in, this, in the formal sitting practice to really cultivate focused attention. And then in the informal moments of the day, helpful to cultivate a wider, more inclusive attention. Right. While moving around the house or during your work period, you don't want to be just exclusively focused on your breath because you need a kind of more open, inclusive, spacious awareness. But in terms of formal practice, our capacity to, be, to really have a kind of wide open, inclusive awareness that's nevertheless really stable and grounded and... Um, bright, really gets best supported by establishing focused attention. Is that enough if I just say it like that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Valentina. Thank you. Um, I was wondering if you have any advice on how to... um establish this focus, like I found myself really wandering off for a long time with my mind and mm. nearly falling asleep and then took me quite a while before coming back to my breath and is do you have any tips on how to yes. yeah yes get focused when you notice come back that's it now i know that sounds simple and you probably think really like, you, I could have told myself that, right? But that's really it. We want to make it more complicated than that. You know? Mind wanders. If you notice it after a short time, drop it and come back. If you notice it after a long time, drop it and come back. But what we tend to do, which is what I, it sounds like from your question you're doing, you, when you know it's been a long time, and then when you notice it, you don't drop it and come back. You say, oh, it's been a long time. Why has it been such a long time? Where did I go for such a long time? What was I busy with for such a long time? What does that mean about my meditation practice that my mind's wandering so much? And all that is just all the next parts of being caught up. So just see if you can wake up simply, graciously. It's fantastic. It doesn't matter that however long time you may have been caught up for, in the moment of noticing it, you're not caught up anymore. Right. The moment of noticing it is the, the good news. Right. And in that moment, just to see if you can use the marvelous fact that life, life's imminence, life's hereness, has reestablished itself. Even though you were completely caught up and involved in some drama or other, that life has gone, hello, it's all here right now. And you have that... The, the support of life's hereness to just leave alone that whole world of abstraction that had built itself up. Thank you. Yeah. So the, when you notice, you automatically come back. You, when you notice, you, you, you're there. Yes. 
the, what's the coming back step? I mean, when you notice automatically you are come back, right? Yeah. So coming back is one of those things I said earlier that can be misleading because there's nowhere to come back to. So, right? It's same But, step. So when we notice, when you notice that you've been caught up in, in, a, in a world of abstraction that gave you the impression of elsewhere, the impression of some other time, some other moment. When you notice that, it's just an impression. Right? I'm busy with some story or some image of some situation or some place, etc. And I notice, oh, I'm just caught up in that. You can just unhook from it, leave it alone. There's no coming back, really, because we're already here. And the moment that you notice that that was just a world of abstraction that you'd created, in that moment, you don't need to come back. Here, the life's hereness has reasserted itself, right? And the abstraction then loses its, its, uh, its the, the grab that it had on your attention. So when you notice that it's just an abstraction pulling at your attention, you leave it alone, and then you then you can see and feel and know. The hereness in which everything's actually happening, the hereness that even that abstraction was happening in, but when you're caught and seduced by the abstraction, you don't see it as here. Right? In that moment, we're believing in it as elsewhere, something, somewhere, someone. And when you notice, oh, it's just an abstraction, just then giving it back to nature in the language we were using last night. So that's the good news. You don't need to come back. There's no step to getting back here. And the more we, the more that happens, the more every time some abstraction has been built up, the more you notice it and release it, and the more fluid that process becomes, and the more we realize actually that we never really go anywhere. And the more the naturalness of being here starts to feel like home. And the more we, that sense of presence can sustain, even when some abstraction starts to build up, and we start to think, "Oh, that thing I did, that person I was talking to, that uh, issue that's uh, concerning me," and even when that's starting to build up, one can notice it and engage with it, even without losing oneself, without losing contact. But because the habit to lose contact is very strong. For a while, it's really helpful to just, as soon as you notice, whatever it is, wherever it goes, whoever it's about, right? Just drop it, just drop it, just drop it. So, for the next 24 hours, the full instruction, whatever it is, just drop it. And the capacity to just drop whatever abstraction arises. Will really lay the ground, the foundation, for then actually being able to engage with and investigate and practice with abstraction, without being caught up in it. But first of all, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it. Okay. Um, can you pass the mic to the back? Mm. I love the analogy of switching channels, mm. and that, that when you're on the mind channel, just switch to another channel. Mm. <laughs> um, I was just wondering if the other channel is breath channel, <laughs> or if there's lots of other. Are there other channels that you switch many, to? Or? I mean, I don't. I don't want to over-egg the image too much, but there's many channels, right? There's sensory experience. Emotional experience, cognitive experience, intuitive experience, and actually then all, all kinds of other ways that we can experience that are more subtle that we may not uh, that we don't notice. All the while, the the stuff of me and my life and my dramas are clogging up all the channels. Right? But let's not let's keep it simple for now, right? So just making that switch from 
what you're calling mind channel or what I was just referring to as abstractions back to this channel of kind of re receiving through the sensory immediacy of embodied awareness. Right? Sensation. The sensation channel. Sensation of sitting here. Sensation of bre breathing. Sensations of walking, which I'll speak about in a minute. Okay. So these two towards the front and then we'll move on. So Kate here. I had a question about why the breath that was sparked by something you said earlier. So you, you use this phrase about experiencing the breath um, at a cellular level. Mm. And I was thinking about how um, you know, that, that kind of presupposes a sort of scientific understanding of what breath is, right? That we take in oxygen and we give off carbon dioxide and we're sort of interdependent with plants and... Mm. That's the PhD student. <laughs> it, no, no, it doesn't presuppose any scientific understanding. It's a, it's a, it's a direct experiential sense, mm. right? Whether one can have the feeling that every cell or every atom, right? In other words, every kind of um, dancing element of, of sensory experience mm. can feel, one can feel it the way it's being expanded and enlivened in each moment of energetic in-breath and the way it's being then kind of released and relaxed in each energetic moment of out-breath. Mm. But you don't, please don't try to feel that. Right. And just attend to the breath in the most direct, most intimate way as possible and see how it opens up. And how it opens up actually can go way beyond what we might call a kind of the sense of the biology of the breath. Because like I say, it's not really the biological breath that we're paying attention to. Biological breath happens in the lungs. Mm -hmm. um, I, there was actually the, the question I really wanted to ask related to that was... Um, I know that there's this real emphasis on the experiential side of it, like breath is a good, is a, um, good anchor for meditation because it's um, impermanent and it's constant and it happens at like a subconscious level. But I was just wondering if um, for people in the Buddha's time or for the Buddha, if there's some kind of um, deeper meaning to why the breath besides it just being a kind of... Um, steady, pragmatic anchor mm. for meditation? Is there some kind of deeper significance to the no, breath? No. Mm. It's, you know, the breath isn't the most important, isn't the central thing, right? Presence and awareness mm -hmm. and skill with attention. Mm -hmm. That's the central thing. Mm -hmm. So we're just, we're using breath and body as central things, mostly because they're non-cognitive. Right? So it's a way of, of getting out of the story-making and the image-making that we're constantly doing about our experience, the interpreting of our experience, and attending to something that, that we can attend to without interpretation and without story-making. And we might find that we're still doing story-making. Oh, yes, now this is the in-breath. Oh, let me see if I can feel it in every one of my cells. You know. right? But we can attend to, to, to sensation, Right, which includes other elements, sound as well, equally helpful in that way, can be used as an object, Bre breathing, hearing, uh, sensing the sitting, in a very direct, from the inside, intimate kind of a way. Right? And we don't, we don't need to, and they're always available. Right? Breath's just always available, because it's just always happening. And when, it's not, when, when it stops happening and it's not available anymore, you won't be having to worry about <laughs> anything else. <laughs> Okay. Um, I'm not sure if I'm maybe introducing something that you'll, re you'll regard as being confusing at this stage, but um, it's this thing about choice. You talk about attention and choice. Mm. And, um, but it seems like there's a contradiction. You talk about we find that we're present. And there's a sense in which it seems we don't have choice. It's like the sun coming out. Mm. And then we can oh, appreciate the sun being out. And I wonder why you don't use the language of simply noticing rather than choosing. Because my sense in my practice and my sense of things 
is increasingly the sense in which, in a profound sense, we don't have choice, and mm. yet, and yet, in the conventional sense, we do. Yeah. But, but that there's a deep sense in which we don't have choice, and yet, by doing this, whatever it is, something very significant happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's. I don't want to get too much into the philosophical implications of choice or not, but a simple way, maybe I can respond that just references practice. We don't have any choice at all about what's already happened, right? Including what's just happened, you know, such a microsecond ago that it seems like it's present, but it's not. We don't have any choice about the fact that we've already been carried off into some abstraction, right? But in the moment of noticing, in real time, right, which is hard to define what real time actually is because it doesn't actually exist, but hey. In real time, in the moment of noticing, that's where we have some choice. Right? We have some choice about, we can't, don't have some, any choice about what's happened to us, but we have some choice about how to respond, or in this case, how to direct our attention. Right? So therefore, the, the willingness to keep directing the attention to the immediate, the grounded, the receptive, right? and that starts, like you're saying, to make a difference. I don't feel like I'm being philosophical in saying mm. this, but I feel that actually we don't have any choice even in that. Right. Um, and yet, coming here and doing this and being exposed to your language leads to some different way of relating to our experience. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so it's, it can be difficult to reconcile those two things, right? And yet, like you're recognizing, both are standing out to you as being true in some way. I don't have any choice. Right? I don't have any choice. And yet, I, I have no choice. And yet, I can expose myself in a particular way to experience. I can direct attention in a certain way towards experience. But I can't, if I look closely at that, I can't really say I'm choosing what to do. Yeah. Okay. And if, if that seems confusing, please feel free to let it go right by. Okay. So, as we said, through the morning, certain um, consistency of practicing and using the sitting, mostly sitting posture and walking posture. And couple of things to say about the walking before we go outside and spend some time walking. Firstly, it's different from sitting. And maybe that's obvious, but sometimes we can struggle with trying to make them resemble one another. Imagining that um, in the walking that we could or should be focused in a similar way to the sitting. Right? But they're different. They cultivate different things. And I think of walking in many ways as a kind of integrative posture and bringing the kind of refinement of meditative attention that we're generating in the stillness of sitting right, into a realm of experience where there's more input, more stimulation, bodies moving, when the eyes are open and therefore that sight which is you know such a dominant sense is processing experience. And one can actually just allowing all of that seeing, moving, and yet allowing it in such a way that the intention is towards not being carried away with. So we're not just going for a walk, right? There's an intention, intention for awareness, right? Knowing what's happening. Atten the intention to direct our attention. Sensing body moving. The intention to establish presence here in the midst of experience. Sometimes the instructions for walking meditation are given to just have all the attention um, just in the feet. And you may find that that's helpful, but sometimes that can feel a little narrow or contrived. And because senses are open and life is happening and you're noticing the sun or the wind or the trees or other people, etc., we can get into a kind of problematic relationship where we're trying to squish all of our attention down into our feet as if we shouldn't be experiencing anything else. 
Right? Sometimes people get into that in sitting as well. We talk about breath and body, and we're trying to squish our attention as if all I should be aware of is breathing. And yet we want to establish presence in a way that's actually kind of steady, grounded, open. So attention will go where habit and where impact lead it. Like we were just saying, that's what attention does. And we can guide attention. And just very helpful in the walking, just letting your attention sort of drop down. Experiencing the walking from the inside. Feeling the movement of legs. Feeling the impact of whatever's going on. Light, air, sun. Being present enough to notice when boredom arises or doubt arises or whatever else arises. When the pull to take yourself off to the magic shrine of the tea station starts to pull at your attention. And then just to drop it. Drop it and walk. And then, oh yeah, but maybe I should go and clean my teeth. And then drop it and walk. And then wondering, you know, I could go for a walk anywhere. Why did I bother coming to all the way to Devon, going on retreat? Isn't it just a waste of time? Drop it and walk. Feel the walking. And then you start to feel the walking. You get start to get excited. Oh, it's so great to be walking. This is fabulous. I'm really getting into this meditation. When I get home, I'm going to start really doing a thing about walking meditation. Drop it and walk. Right? Whatever it is, drop it and walk. And to that end, rather than going for, on some general meandering stroll around the ground, helpful to just take a short path, might be about as uh, the length of the width of the meditation hall, and just to walk back and forth. So when you get to the end of your f- back or your fourth, oh, you just get to stop and see where your attention is. And if it started to create some world of abstraction, drop it and walk. We spoke about slowing down yesterday, right? And you're not walking to anywhere. So it may be that the walking has a quite a slow rhythm to it. But no need to walk extra slowly. Right? Let the slowing be predominantly an internal thing and let body follow. So that you're walking in quite a natural and easeful way. You don't have to walk especially slowly. And you certainly don't need to walk in any kind of weird ministry of silly walks style. Sometimes people look like they're trying to reinvent the walk when they're, when they're doing walking meditation. They look like they're walking on the moon in some way. Just, you know, don't interfere too much with the process. Your body knows how to sit and breathe, so just let it do. Body knows how to walk. Right? You've known that for decades. Let it, let it do. So having a certain kind of simpleness, a certain naturalness to the rhythm of that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.